This is the We Are Her podcast for survivors of abuse or assault to share their stories. I'm your host, Emily Kemp, and I'll be having a conversation with a different survivor each week. I want to be sure to include a strong trigger warning with this podcast. The content we discuss includes topics related to violence. Listener discretion is advised. This is your host, Emily Kemp, and I have a guest with us today who would like to remain anonymous, and they'll introduce themselves using a pseudonym. So I'm just going to turn it over to them and let them say whatever it is they'd like to about themselves. Hey, Emily. Um, Thanks for having me on board. Um, My name's Chihiro. Um, I, I don't know. I have a very varied and wide background, and I'm very excited to be sharing you know, my story and who I am as a person through this podcast. And hopefully, you know, my story gets out there to someone, a survivor like myself who can relate potentially, or, you know, just feel the love and support that we're aiming to accomplish um, tonight, I guess. Um, So I guess, you know, who I am, who am I? Um, I'm an only daughter and granddaughter. My parents, you know, they're from an interracial marriage. And that's just something I'm very, very proud of. Um, just, I'm so proud of my family and my upbringing. I have three brothers. I'm an only girl. My parents and my grandparents, you know, everyone just fostered and helped me grow up with so many different experiences, not just culture-wise from the interracial union, but, you know, with my passions. And, you know, growing up, it's been very fun because I feel like it's been kind of a challenge um, to pinpoint me as one specific person per se because of my upbringing regarding the cultures that I grew up in and, you know, what I did growing up and how those experiences shaped me. Um, I will also say that, you know, a part of it, you know, all of this kind of was like a battle. It was a fun battle, actually, that I've had my entire life. And it's one that actually keeps me going, you know, if that actually makes sense. And it's something that has helped me come to love me for me. But, you know, my survivorship story that I'm sharing tonight has definitely been the biggest factor that shaped that aspect. And it's just, it's just something that I'm excited to share tonight. Yeah, and thank you for being on the podcast. I know it can be a really um, overwhelming, you know, task to kind of tackle sharing a story like that. And so we're really, really honored that you're here. And um, yeah, I think your desire to want to, you know, connect with other survivors and get your story out in a way that is helpful to them, I think we will definitely accomplish that. Um, So with that being said, I guess I'll just kind of turn it back over to you. And I always let our uh, guests sort of start telling their story however in whatever way makes the most sense to them so Mm -hmm. wherever you want to start okay so I don't know I guess we'll start from like (laughs) the beginning I'll try to be as quick as possible with this I guess you know I say I guess a lot, sorry, but (laughs) growing growing up, you know, I felt I had different facets to myself and maybe perhaps I was more of the person who had a few close friends from different groups rather than having a lot of friends or feeling like I belonged in like one specific group, kind of like cliques that you see in movies and like that take place in high school or whatnot. I don't know. I'm just trying to think of like an analogy to place that on, I guess. Um, First and foremost, though, I am an engineer and I've always had a fascination with science. So, you know, in that regard, I looked like one person like in that field to some, the people that were in that field with me. And then, you know, I was also in the arts and music. Um, I was in an orchestra that went overseas during my high school years. And I was also in the paintings and cinema and art. So, you know, with those people, I looked like, you know, that kind of person to them. And then, you know, it's really funny because some people are surprised that I also have a fondness for anime and video games. You know, I grew up with three brothers, so I definitely had them to like share that passion and bond with, I guess. And I was always player two being the second oldest. So that's like our little fun thing that we always fell back on. And that's version three of me, I guess. And then version four was 
all the swimming and the water polo and even scuba diving. I did a scuba diving trip one time overseas and I I love it. It's it's incredible. It's just so immersive. And I did I just like being around the water. Um and I guess, you know, that's version four of me. And then, you know, all of these coming together, I just, you know, growing up, I wasn't ever discouraged for being who I was, but I do remember at times having felt like I just had to find the one person like later in life to appreciate all of this and to love, you know, all the parts and like the summation of me. But yet, you know, as a juxtaposition, I had to stick to like one thing um, to find that person in a way or to, you know, address all of this. And that's kind of like, you know, where my story starts. And I was in the mindset of all this, like I was at the peak of it when I was in my freshman year of college. And growing up, my family just made sure I was able to explore everything. And my mother was more the musician and the artist. And my dad was the engineer and the swimmer. And, you know, they get a lot of credit for making me who I am in these endeavors. But, you know, I'm going to specifically mention my grandparents who, you know, two of them that I will mention later, they're not here with me right now. I miss them to death. Um, They're so special to me specifically. And I'm so grateful that, you know, the other two that are still on earth, they're still here on with me and everything. And they, you know, the four of them as you know, a group. They've always been my biggest cheerleaders. They loved how I had all these pursuits. They loved coming to my swim meets over the holidays, the concerts that I played in, all the, you know, accomplishments that I made, you know, throughout my life in these pursuits. Um, You know, even when I didn't even win an event at swim meet or play a violin piece, you know, quite the best that I could, I I still was very well aware because they made it very clear that they still, um, they were reminding me just, you know, how much they loved and appreciate, you know, what I did and who I actually was. And, you know, the two grandparents that are gone, my mom's mom and my dad's dad, I just, they were very special in that regard. And their deaths and their influence, you know, played a huge role in my survivorship story. And, you know, I don't even know where to begin about my grandmother. She was just, she was a chef and she was a homemaker. She even had a business out of that. She was incredibly talented. Um, She could like make dresses out of anything or like, you know, make cakes that were like a mile high or whatever. Like she was, she was just so, so, so talented. Um, You know, even one time she made this dress for me when I was like eight out of like old silk curtains. um, And like she refurbished the material and everything. And she like, she would just make all this like beautiful dresses for me and like clothes and little gifts for me like she just she injected her personal touch in everything that she did and you know as I go on from like her death and move and like just you know process what happened back when I was when she passed away I just fall back on how that helps me like go through the rest of my life I guess and then regarding my grandfather he was also an engineer but you know, something so special about him was just that he endlessly wondered about the world all around him. He wasn't, he was a scientist at heart too, kind of like who I am, who I, what I do every day. Um, you know, he's also a very perceptive person, um, probably the most perceptive person I know, actually. You know, I remember a time, like even, I was like 12 when this happened. I remember a time when my youngest brother, who was like only a year old, this was like Thanksgiving 2010, I think. But my grandfather, you know, he adored my youngest brother because he was the baby of the family. And, you know, that one, there was this one specific moment in Thanksgiving when we were all panicking in the kitchen, trying to get meals together. And, you know, my father was just holding my younger brother and my grandfather just like went over to like hug him because he just loved him. He just that was that was you know the heart of his life my my younger brother like my 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 grandfather just loved him and he just went over to hug him and you know just like a few seconds later you know in the midst of all the craziness and all the panic that was going on when we were trying to make sure the food was like good and perfect and everything my grandfather just like motioned everyone to just come into this like giant group hug in the kitchen. And the kitchen was so small. And, you know, he just, he did that by just, you know, it was a commanding stop. 
but like, you know, it was calm and like, you know, reassuring. And, you know, it was just, that's how he was so incredible. Like he just, he was perceptive, but he knew like he was very intuitive with like people's emotions and like feelings. And, you know, his, his death was actually anticipated. It was terminal. My Abu's death was an accident actually after she survived cancer in fact. And then like a few months later, she, she died from a fall and negligence in the hospital. So that's how like the two deaths differ. But my grandfather's death, I just, I remember being with him in like the last few days of his life. And he would always ask me about what I was studying in school and ask me like, what do these machines that are hooked up to him do? And he was just, he was just all around just focusing on what was around him rather than what was happening. And, you know, while it was sad to see that, that was just something that I at least rested on the fact that like it was comforting to him and that made me feel reassured too. So that was just, that, that's how, how much I love my grandparents, I guess you could say. (laughs) And that's why they're special to me. Yeah. And I know they play a big part in your story. So I think it's really important for us to get an understanding of what, you know, what, who they were and what they meant to you. Mm -hmm. So thank you for sharing a little bit about them with us. Yeah. Thanks. (laughs) So I know you had said things started, came to a head your freshman year. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Freshman year was, I guess, like fall of 2014 to summer of 2015, um, six years ago, I guess. Um, I guess something a little weird or quirky about me, a little knack that I have is that I've always had the strange habit of being fixated on time. And, you know, it's pretty funny because this June, I graduated high school like seven years ago in 2014. And it's just the weird, the weirdest feeling ever, because it feels like, you know, the farthest, the farther apart you are from your high school years, the more you question time. And, you know, time is just a weird concept because it's just, it's linear. It keeps going. But yet, you know, with more time moving on, it also feels like less time has moved on at the same time. And I don't even know how to explain it, but that's the best I could do. <laughs> for for 2014, I felt like that was my year to move on to independence in 2015 was where I felt like that transition was going to fully come to form. And the fall of 2014 to the summer of 2015, unfortunately, was where, you know, that abusive relationship happened when I was still trying to learn or figure out what my place was, I guess, and where how to define all of this. And a lot of the progression through my life has been learning about the whole concept of control and power and like dealing with my grandparents' deaths and their health and sickness. You know, it taught me a lot about that as well. And then control and power also played a lot into like this relationship. And it was hard because I felt like I had no control over things. And when my grandparents passed away in 2015, a lot of the abuse that I endured and my sexual assault from that time was from my assailant, essentially just taking advantage of my grieving to put it shortly. Mm. So like finding you in like a a vulnerable time and, and exploiting it. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Do you mind sharing a little bit more about what that looked like for you? Sure. Um, So I'll start from the beginning here. I met him, I guess I said this already in my first year um, in the fall of 2014. He was actually a teaching assistant in this freshman engineering lab course that I was in. It was really funny because he saw my gym tag and he was like, hey, I go to that gym too. And it was the gym from like back at home in my hometown. And it just kind of felt like a moment. It just felt like, you know, a heartful, innocent moment where it was like, how have I not met you yet my whole life? Because we started like turning the pages and being like, wait, you're from my hometown too. You went to my rival high school, you know, this person and like, you know, this too, like you actually like this. And it just, it was weird. Cause looking back, it felt like, I just remember feeling like it was a start to an actual healthy relationship. And I thought that something was going to like come out of it. And, you know, I guess if you were to watch the scene, like you were watching a movie looking back, like, you know, if I've had time to like think back on that particular moment when I first met him, you would picture this like moment or this movie scene, I guess, as like, uh, this character is important, but we just don't know quite yet why. And, you know, 
within the next few months of fall 2014. It was actually pretty good. And, but, you know, there was some stuff that kind of was like the precursor of what was going to start in 2015. Um, you know, a lot of him inviting me out more. I wasn't really like as committed to him as he was to me. Um, you know, he was kind of touchy. He liked, he did it through hugs. So I just, I thought that was okay. I didn't really think of anything of it quite yet. And some people actually thought it was a little too weird in that regard. But, you know, I grew up on the foundation of like having compassion and respect come first. And that just made me kind of push that away, I guess. Um, and I was drawn in. I felt like I was actually getting more confident in myself at times because, you know, it, it felt like, like, like I said, it felt like a good relationship in the beginning. And, but then, you know, looking back, you know, with the help of like therapists that I've talked to and other supportive and loving people, they've actually highlighted to me that some of the things that he did in those first three months could be actually considered grooming. And then this phase of the relationship was, you know, from about October to my grandmother's death on February 4th, 2015, which is like the first instance of like, you know, him taking advantage of my grieving to do what he did. I guess, and abuse me, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. So things were kind of escalating and it sort of culminated with the death of your grandmother and, or not, maybe not culminated, but that's where it kind of escalated to the next level. It it went to the next level on that, on that date. Yeah. You know, things were just crazy and it happened so fast. I don't know how, I don't blame myself for like trying to like, failing I don't want to say I failed but I failed to like keep track of it in a way and when I told him that I remember that day I told him you know I just lost my grandmother a few hours ago and it was the evening of February 4th and you know the first instance of the physical abuse was you know he was comforting me by you know we were by ourselves in a lab it was after I submitted a lab report and I was it was it was just by ourselves and I wish someone else were there in the moment because I was just, I didn't know what to do and I still, I pushed it aside and that was just the pattern that I kind of developed on later on, just pushing it away, putting it under the rug. Um, You know, he would put his hands through my shirt to like comfort me, I guess, or, you know, that, that was the first thing that happened. And I guess my body mechanism in that moment too was to get myself to first accept what had happened first because I was trying to think logically. That's who I am. I'm the engineer. I'm trying to think logically and put the parts, the puzzle pieces together. And, you know, that same pattern, you know, of just pushing it away and finding the cause of all of it first, it just kept repeating on um, through later episodes. Um, you know, it happened when I had services to go to when my grandfather passed away and when it was my birthday later on in March. And, you know, I had different, you know, reports to submit and just going through campus was a nightmare because I always had to think of like a new route to like take every day. Cause he was always, he just, he always wanted to be with me. And I, I, I didn't know how to explain why. And I, I didn't want to try to figure out how to explain to myself why, because I was just still trying to process all this, all this, what was going on around me, all the deaths that just happened. And I was just trying to stick my head in my books and just be like, okay, this comes first and foremost. Then, you know, my grandparents deaths, trying to make sure my family knows that like we're here together and everything's going to be okay, I guess. But Grief is a really just, overwhelming it, it is, emotion. It, is, it, it is, takes up yeah. a lot of space of, you know, and being a student is really, really hard. And so I get, I get whirlwinded just talking yeah. about, I felt like I was just going in circles just now. And yeah. I, hopefully someone listening here can relate to what I'm saying maybe, or felt, I, I don't know, I, they don't have to feel the same way that I'm feeling, but I just, they, they I hope that they, they're comforted. I guess at the very least knowing that like I I was trying to find out reasons why like all this happened I guess 
Yeah. And I appreciate like your openness and your vulnerability with sharing. I think, you know, that this podcast is all about um, authenticity. And I think you're talking about like the whirlwind. I can feel it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I think that that's people can resonate with that and people can identify with that because that's, uh, I think that's a really relatable experience when having gone through these things. And it's like, it it comes through in your story. I can, I can totally like see how you were feeling in that moment. Mm -hmm. You know, just episodes. I remember if you don't mind me sharing actually. Yeah. Um, Go ahead. You know, my birthday in March, he threatened to get violent after he found out that I went on my own for two friends for my birthday because he was under the expectation that he had to go with me and it just had to be me and him. And, you know, my resort to that was just falling back on feeling like a different person. Like I was just trying to be with old friends from high school from before all this shit happened, I guess, to as a way to comfort me. And then, you know, my grandmother's service happened a couple weeks later, and he did keep texting me, asking to come into the church, and it sucked because he lived right across the church in the neighborhood there. Um, And I was giving a eulogy, and it was just, it was a very, uh, a whirlwind of a day, I guess. That was just terrifying, and I felt like he was going to be outside the church door waiting to, like, grab me actually and it was scary it was very scary um and you were semi-robbed of just being able to be totally present at your grandma's service yeah yeah I I know and and you know like I mentioned earlier I was just trying to be there for my family first and foremost and a lot of you know my grandfather passed away on April 22nd you know wash rinse repeat and you know I I had to, it, it was right before finals week when I like, he, he made it clear to the whole world that like we were in a relationship which sucked. So I wasn't like committed to this relationship and I didn't know how to say I wasn't like willing to pursue this relationship. But people asked me a lot about him and I and what was it like? And people saw him as like this very affectionate person and it wasn't like that behind closed doors, unfortunately. And I think, you know, something that needs to be said too is that a lot of abuse or like assaults a lot it it could happen anywhere. And, you know, it's hard it can be hard to see like what happens, but it's very important to recognize like when it's happening. And if it's happening to you, you gotta speak up. And, you know, I wish that I had I, I could put myself to speak up back in 2015, but, you know, I was in the height of all of this too. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And I also want to point out that when you're in the throes of grief and you're going through what you had gone through, uh, someone who really cares about you would just support you. But this person was taking from you too. So not only are you dealing with this grief, but you're also dealing with like the confusion and the pain and flipping into survival mode and kind of like doing what you need to do to navigate this really harmful person. And so it's just like, it's just, I can, it's, I can only imagine how chaotic. Yeah. I hated, I hated saying no to people. I, 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 I grew up out of, you know, found of a foundation of respect and love and compassion and making sure people knew that like I was, you know, with them till the end, I guess that's kind of what I was raised on. And it just seemed like to me that, you know, going back to the concept of time, there's also a big juxtaposition with the big distance of the six years between me and the events of 2015. But it also feels like yesterday. And I, it was hard for me to say no, because I was trying to find some place or something to like, put all this. And then I figured, you know, once I had that place, I would stop worrying. And I just, I was, like you said, left in this state of confusion. And this pattern kept going through 2015. Yeah. Did it, um, did it continue to escalate or was it it just sort of cyclical or like kind of what did that next phase in 2015 look like? So May 15 was, you know, a lot of time points in 2015 were nightmarish. Um, The culmination of it was, you know, today's May 8th. 
and it's about a week till the six year anniversary of my assault on May 15th. Um, May 15 was, you know, I just remember coming back to my dorm in the middle of the night. Um, I just remember that day. Let me go back to like the beginning of that day. I had like a physics midterm and I knew that I was going to like fail it because, you know, my life was just in crumbles and like, I had no idea how to like reach out for help. I was still trying to like make sure that it looked like I had all my shit together. And in fact, I didn't. And, you know, I just remember after the final was finished, I ended up somehow like with him, I guess, I, you know, in that state of confusion. And we just, we ended up in a study room together, which was where the assault was carried out. And it was just, it was a blur, just, you know, the leggings being pulled down and everything. And I, I do more vividly remember standing the aftermath of it because the shocks took around for a very, very long time. Um, I just remember standing in the shower. I felt like I had to be clean because of what just happened. And I felt gross. I felt disgusting. And I just remember standing in the shower. You know, I had wheels turning in my head and I was just like plan making. Like, you know, I was like, okay, I'll get through these last few weeks of this quarter and I'll just stick my head into my books And then, you know, maybe I will be able to go to the police after that. Or, you know, I also had this recurring thought in my head of just like, I just hope that no one hears me crying in here or sees the bruise on my wrist from like the struggle that just happened that I endured. And there was this one particular moment during that shower that I remember where, you know, I realized for the past couple of weeks, I did keep making plans in my head of what to do in case anything harsh what happened and even when it hadn't happened and then I was just like this is one of those harsh moments and it had happened and then everything was frozen after that and you know I guess now that I look back it did act as a protection mechanism like what I was thinking in that shower and you know I reflected the planning in my head as also as a way to help me get through the reality the situation maybe as like a form of dissociation and you know later on that whole weekend i it was beautiful may weekend it was like gorgeous outside sunny like seven degrees and uh, not seven degrees seven <laughs> degrees like that doesn't sound so gorgeous <laughs> to me <laughs> i just saw i just realized what I said. <laughs> but yeah it was just i was in my dorm room blinds closed watching my phone you know continuously light up and buzz with like texts from him that whole weekend and I I didn't even have to like look outside my window I knew he was like outside the dorm doors too like not my dorm door but like the entrance to my dorm building and the one text the worst text I've ever gotten in my life was from him on the day after May 16th it was like I remember the timestamp it was 11:37 a.m on May 16th. And I didn't even sleep that night. And I was just like under my blankets. And he was just like, you should stop worrying about finals and everything else that's going on because I need you. That was the worst text I've ever gotten. And I, it's still that, that memory is going to be etched in my head, you know, forever. And I also remember you know, throughout that weekend, it was actually my older brother's birthday on the day before, May 14th. And, you know, on the night of May 15th, I was actually supposed to go out to a dinner with my older brother and my middle brother to celebrate. We were going to go out in the city somewhere. And I actually, I I had to lie to them. I was scared. I I lied to them saying that I had exams. It was kind of a white lie, but I was, I just did this out of fear. And there were so many things going on that my assailant latched onto to do all this. And my older brother, my brothers are my rocks. I love them so much. My older brother is actually out in California right now. I miss him. Um, I love him. I haven't talked to him forever because he's been moving, but I've talked to him like every day and he's always been like, there for me. Um, you know, I wanted to talk to him first. I just didn't know how to. 
and it was very difficult in the beginning. Um, I actually never got to tell him what happened until about two months later in July. And, you know, that's a whole other story. Like he wanted to like go out and like beat him up and I had to pull him away from the door and like cry at him. Don't do this, please. But anyway, you know, during that other, that one weekend back in May where the assault was carried on, you know, I had this one text from him that just meant the world to me. And it was just like, you know, I don't know what's going on and you don't even need to know, say anything, but you know, I'm thinking of you. And that rang with me because, you know, he didn't even need anything to latch on. And, you know, my, my assailant was using my grief to latch on. And like the juxtaposition of the two text messages, like you had just been assaulted and you're in a state of shock and horror. Meanwhile, the person who assaulted you is texting you, I need you. And then you get this other text message from your brother that's like, I love and support you no matter what. You know what I mean? It sort of shows like the absolute polar opposite, like types of people that there are and what love should look like, you know? Mm -hmm. I just want to give my older brother a hug right now. <laughs> Aww. Text him when we're done recording and be like, I love you, brother. It'll be, it'll be, it's the West Coast, so it will be, it's going to, I don't know, it'll be like eight, I guess. Yeah, it won't <laughs> eight, be too bad. It won't yeah. be too bad for him. <laughs> it's Saturday night anyway. <laughs> but you do, I think what you're pointing out is like the, like, the importance of those like unconditionally loving and supportive relationships in those scenarios, you know? And I, I think for when you're a family member or a friend of someone who's going through something hard, it can be like, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to help, but just by being loving and supporting, it goes a really, Mm -hmm. really long way. Yeah. It was, you know, the same way that, you know, like I've mentioned, I was raised upon the values of just compassion and love first and foremost. And I thought I was getting that out of this relationship, but, you know, turns out he was putting, you know, his, whatever his needs were before mine and framing himself being into whatever I was doing or what I was into to carry out what he did. Yeah. And which is manipulation. He was, he was like, yeah, he was manipulating the situation to get what he wanted by like, by lying and pretending to be what you wanted him to be in the moment. Yeah. And so, you know, I, (laughs) I'm putting left in quotes because I can't even, I don't know if I could say like, it's a relationship. Some people think it was, I don't think it, I guess I'm going to say it wasn't. I officially like, you know, blocked him and everything on social media and like his way of texting me on June 8th and that was the day before his 21st birthday which was I I don't know adding extra salt to the wound for him um and I tried to just get through finals and then you know that summer I had a research position and I was on campus and I was dealing with like a stalking and I was trying to figure out you know when I was ready to like report it too. And when I was going to tell my older brother about what happened, because I had no idea how I was going to tell my parents about it. Cause my parent, my, my mom loved him. Um, my dad actually didn't like him. Um, he was like, this guy is fishy. I, <laughs> I, I, I was just like, okay. I just remember saying, okay, but I was like, could I say something now? How much of myself do I like want to put out there? And yeah, they're big words to say. It's hard to talk about. And and there's a fear with your family too of like, I'm going to tell them and they're going to be so hurt and horrified. They were, you know, I, both of the cultures that I grew up in were, an, they had an emphasis on like being self-sufficient and they just, they, they wanted to like move forward with things. And even though they were still hurting and I felt like I had to like, you know, put that example to them too. And because I was away at college for the first time, I had to make sure that I was getting what I went to college in the first place for done first and foremost. And just all that pressure onto me just added up over time. And first, my older brother, I told him, and then I told this acquaintance of mine, actually, she was a mutual friend of, you know, my assailant and myself. And 
she it was like july it was july 28th i remember dates sometimes yeah, you it's are like weird. i am like yeah. super impressed when you said you had a thing about time i was like hmm, interesting i'm like well this is playing out more than i thought it would fun fact about me though is that i could i'm like the birthday bank for my family like i could remember birthdays for some strange reason and <laughs> I, I, remember I wish dates. I had. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I don't know where it comes from, but that's that's what I can do. And I think it's wonderful. <laughs> um, yeah, July twenty eighth, twenty fifteen. Um, my she's now one of my best friends. Um, she sent me a text. She was like, "Hey, so so and so, my assailant, he." was wondering, you know, where have you been and what's going on? And I was wondering if I could get you two to meet up potentially. And I, I, it it was terrifying. And I had to like, you know, convey the message to her that like of, of everything that happened and why I wasn't talking to him. And like, you know, I just, I remember going out to lunch with her like a couple of days later and she was just like, I'm not letting you anywhere near him. He is disgusting. He's a creep. And, you know, I'm going to tell him that. Like <laughs> he was like, basically yeah. trying to use her to get to you. Right. Like, even right. though you had him on everything, he was still trying to find a way to, like, get yeah. to you. Yeah. And he thought, like, you know, she was also in, like, organizations on campus with me. So I think, like, he saw that as, like, an avenue to, like, it, and it, it was scary. It was, I was just, I was terrified, you know. So you did not meet up with him, obviously. No. And then you, you made a new friend in the process and a supporter. Right, right. And, after, and then, you know, I decided to, like, try to build a support network, I guess. And it was, you know, one of my best friends, my older brother. And then I told my friend, I'm actually at his house right now about what happened. And I had like a research presentation coming up and I was like, Hey, this happened. I don't know. It's terrifying to say, but this happened and I need you to like be here for me in case he were to like try to do something when I'm giving my presentation. And he's been it, that 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 was also like he's just been super supportive of all that and then i went to the police after that to report it it was july and if we're still looking at like the calendar of like 2015 i guess and you know it was like it was a weird a weird situation i felt like they were receptive sometimes and sometimes i didn't but they were very transparent at the very least they told me what to anticipate they were encouraging me to like go forward with like taking it to like put putting criminal charges against him and i decided to talk with a woman officer too because i didn't know how to talk to a male officer either um but and it was very hard for me to hear that it it could possibly not work at first because I didn't have like quote evidence to bring it forward or to like show my case. But, you know, it was just, it was a weird day. And I remember having to be like sit seated with like the office of equality and diversity of my university. And they were like asking me to recount everything that happened and what happened on the night of May 15 and and all that and it just sometimes it felt to me that like they just want to listen to me relive like through all of it again and I just I decided from there I didn't want to like do it because I felt like it was going to be like that I was going to keep retelling my story and it was going to be very very painful for me um if I were to continue on with you know, putting the charges against him and potentially going to court. It is really traumatizing to have to relive that over and over and to speak about what, because they, they ask a lot of really, I mean, they want you to be like graphic and it's, and it's like that. It's just, 
that in and of itself, I feel like is a, is a good enough reason, you know, as to why survivors don't want to report. And I also think that we have to respect survivors' decisions not to want to report or go through with criminal proceedings. Like, well, why wouldn't you just keep going through with the criminal stuff? It's like, it wouldn't be easy and there was no guarantee. It's a very triggering question. And, you know, another triggering question for me was, you know, like, why did you stay? And, you know, it it just, I, I hate that question so much. It's very traumatizing for me. Not so much anymore, but it was back then because, you know, it undermines the grieving that I was in and it diminishes what I was going through aside from the abuse. And it's just, it's a very, very hard thing to endure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I appreciate you sharing that piece about not, you know, like choosing not to go through with it, um, with the criminal proceedings. Cause I think that's a really common experience and it is, it doesn't make anything that you went through less valid. Yeah. You know, over the past couple of years in my recovery, I have been fragile and, you know, it doesn't mean that I can't be handled with care. And I've gone on this path where, you know, I've made sure that, you know, I try to make sure he doesn't exist in a way that will undermine who I am anymore. You know, it was scary for me to come about choosing to live without looking over my shoulder. And I will always remember that I made that decision in spite of him, in spite of what he did to me, you know, because of him and because of what he did to me. And at that time when I made that decision, it was so, it was still very new to me because I had always made sure that that compassion came first in my life. And I was always putting others needs before mine. And I felt like, you know, self-sufficient was not, I wasn't defining it correctly, I guess. And maybe I shouldn't even say self-sufficient. Maybe I should just say, you know, I'm just being strong. Mm-hmm. Hell yeah, you are. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm curious. I told to myself yeah. I wasn't going to cry. What you're doing right now in and of itself is like this incredibly brave and strong thing. And for you to have this realization of like, you know what? I'm going to be, I'm going to take care of myself right now. It's hard to do that when you, when you're conditioned to think like to not do that, you know, Mm -hmm. that's a big moment. Yeah. You know, all the things that like, I love doing that. I mentioned in the beginning, the swimming, the anime, the music, he, that was also another way that he like carried out the abuse on me. And I, when I was recovering throughout the past couple of years, I had this other close friend say, you know, find ways to reclaim it. And reclaim it was a big word for me. Um, you know, cause it was like, he never took away who I was in the first place. And I've just looked for ways to like, you know, be like, I still love myself for who I am. And, you know, I was grieving the loss, not just of my grandparents, but of myself too. I felt like there was nothing. I just, I felt irreparable. And I went, when he said that, and I remember talking about it with my therapist later on, you know, a couple of days later after he told, gave me that piece of advice it was like, you know, we we talked about it some more and it was like, that's just excellent piece of advice because, you know, again, he never stole who I was. Yeah, he tried and he certainly hurt you. But at a certain point, I think it can be really empowering to say like, no, you don't get to have power over me anymore. Right. And, you know, it hasn't been easy because, you know, what he has done, it you know, what he tried to steal from me, it still makes me think about him. And a lot of the things that I love, you know, have a piece of him that I want to push away. Like I did back in 2015, but you know, my body sometimes still needs a chance to process it. And it's very hard to recognize in those moments that maybe I don't even have control over how I process it. And I just got to let my body tell me like what I need to do. Like, and ways that I manage that is, I guess, grounding techniques. Like you could hold a hot cup of tea or chew gum or go outside for a minute. That's like what a few examples of what I do. And I've recognized that there are some things that, you know, that can be haunting for me. It can even go as far as to give me the impression that something unexpected is about to happen or it has just happened. And it's been a big part of like 
my recovery within the past almost six years too. Yeah, I would love to hear more. I love the examples that you're giving. And I would just love to hear more about what healing and recovery looks like for you, just kind of on an ongoing or at any point in your healing timeline. Like, what does that sort of look like for you? <laughs> um, I'm a swimmer. And I love like the challenge of like racing. I decided to try out running and I actually did the marathon in my city in 2017. So that was, (laughs) that was a big undertaking. Um, Not even an undertaking. It was incredible. It was an incredible experience. Um, And, you know, I guess I go back to like, you know, like the going back to what my friend suggested to reclaim who I was through different ways of looking at, you know, what made me me was, you know, start drawing sketches of your favorite characters or write fan fiction about them. And I did that. <laughs> I, I don't want to share them with everyone because no. it's kind of <laughs> stupid. But it, you know, I love, you know, the characters that make up like my favorite movies and what they stand for. One of my favorite movies, I'm not sure if you've heard of it, is Spirited Away. I'm a huge um, Hayao Miyazaki fan. Oh so. my god, I love We can talk about I this one really fast. for every ever and ever. Uh, I just love how he his protagonists are all like female and they and he all puts the message that like everyone there's no like bad or good person either it's an in-between and I love the themes that he carries across in his movies I just it's they're beautifully crafted movies I love them but you know unfortunately I he made me watch Ghibli movies with him as like a way to like carry out what he did and Spirit Away was actually one of the movies we didn't get to see and I guess looking back that wasn't a fluke um you know I I decided to watch it again during the pandemic last year. Um, and it just, it felt like I was watching it again for the first time because there was this whole theme of like memory in it. And, you know, it made me think about all these memories that I've had of like, you know, my grandparents and who I grew up as. And, you know, just as like, you know, there's good memories, there's also bad memories. And I resonated with like, you know, Chihiro and I, I'm I'm making a face because Chihiro is like the same name that I'm going by. <laughs> um, and Haku, I love Haku. Haku, I even have a Haku pillow like behind me too for crying out loud. I'm a big fan of the movie, but the, they, they resonated with me because they're memory of like one another protected them throughout all the events that happened in the movie and you know all the events that carried out in that movie were they were they would be traumatizing for any 10 year old girl like Chihiro and anyone and it just you know Chihiro just had the memories of her parents to drive her through and she remembered how much she loved them to you know survive in such a difficult world and to navigate the spirit world you, you know whoever's listening you gotta watch that movie it's amazing um and then and the music oh is so God. good <laughs> i'm like fan girl like, <laughs> uh yeah and then haku it was the same thing like you know he couldn't remember who i he was as well because okay so plot point in the movie was the I guess quote antagonist because there's really no bad guys or good guys in Miyazaki's movies um but the antagonist in that movie would like take away her employees names in the bathhouse the bathhouse was like the setting and like she would take away their names as to like a way to control them and she did that through Chihiro who became Sen I love the name Chihiro because it means a thousand fathoms and she when she reduced it to sen she's literally calling her like a number like a thousand and the same thing happened with haku his phone name is like kohaku river so like that's all of who he is but haku is just like only part of who he is and i kind of felt like it 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 was on the same kind of thread as like 
you know, what happened in the relationship and, you know, the whole theme of memories, like, you know, there's memories that are still protecting me throughout this time. And, you know, and Shakira and Haku's relationship is just beautifully crafted and it's beautifully presented in the movie because it's like, you know, there's the juxtaposition between their relationship and my relationship. And it made me aspire like, you know, to having a relationship like that of like a 10 and a 12 year old, like, you know, just like their relationship is just like, you know, just first love, love. We don't know what life's supposed to be like yet, but you know, we just fall back on, you know, valuing who we are and, you know, we'll come take on the world and like what's out there. And, We'll put our needs in together and we're not going to put like our needs above the other. Oh, it's so beautiful. <laughs> I love your analysis of all this. Did this like come flooding down oh, to you in an epiphanal yeah. moment or was it, yeah. or were, were, did it take a while to kind of like sort through how, like the movie is like a tool of exploring your own feelings and identity. Was it, did it happen over time or was it just sort of like, Oh, <laughs> I guess it was kind of a, an epiphany kind of thing. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> You're like, wait a like, No, I, 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 I watched the movie thousands of times, but I was like scared to go back to it because there was that part of him, like, you know, being part of it. And I, I watched it, I guess it was, I'm saying it's an epiphany kind of moment because I watched it like a week before the election last year too. And, you know, when we have a candidate who, also running with like 26 sexual assault assault charges against him like I was just I was you know going back to like anticipating what would happen even and like what to do even though it didn't happen yet and I I I used that movie as like an escape but then it also brought me like a new way of thinking about things I guess I just love that example so much, not only because I love Hayao Miyazaki, but also because I think it really highlights that like healing can be found in so many different ways. And especially in the ways that represent who you are and who you felt like you were before, or the things that you love about yourself or the things that bring you joy. Like you can lean into those spaces and find insight and healing and, and reclamation, which is pretty freaking cool. I just, I found myself in that movie and I felt, I felt like I was placed in that movie actually as corny as that sounds. No. (laughs) And, well, that's the beauty of like being transported, right? <laughs> yeah. First, I remember the first time I actually watched that movie was back in like high school. And I remember being like to my parents, Mom, Dad, I just watched this movie and I wish I like seen it sooner. It's called Spirit Away. And, you know, they're also big movie geeks and like I am. And they're like, oh, yeah, we've seen that movie. We remember the little girl reminded us of you when you're little. Because like I was like five when it came out. And like it was just like, oh, my God, what? And just like, how come you never told me you saw this or like, you know, showed it to me before you would know that I would like this movie right and they're like yeah (laughs) I'm like okay (laughs) well it was there for you when you needed it the most so it definitely ended up you know entering in your life in a big meaningful Mm -hmm. way you know it's just you know by any measure six years later when I take a step back and look at my life my life has been you know really really good and you know irregardless and I, I just, I haven't moved on though. And I haven't moved on. And I hate that phrase so much because what it says is that, you know, what happened in my grandparents' lives and deaths are just moments that like I can like leave behind me. And maybe I probably should, but, you know, this suggests to me that I should just move on from who I was and still am. And I've realized that I've always remained the same person throughout all of this. And I still find myself slipping into the present tense when I talk about, you know, these events and what all these things that I love and love to do and watch movies I love to watch and, you know, music I love to play and, you know, oceans and beaches I like to go to or whatever. And I've noticed that like, you know, some other people have done it too. 
you know, when a loss occurs. And it doesn't make you weak at all, talking as in you're in the present tense. And, you know, it's not because, you know, we're in denial or, you know, because we're forgetful. It's because people we love and the people that we've lost, well, we've lost what, you know, anyone could lose in events like this. They're still, you know, they can be present for us. And, you know, so when I say, oh, my grandmother, my grandfather, or myself is, you know, it's because the three of us still is. And it's just, it's indelible. And what makes the three of us and the things that I love about the three of us is still very much present for me because he's never taken it away from me. And my passions are still present in the work that I do. You know, I've graduated, I've run the marathon. Um, I'm getting ready for an open water swim and a triathlon, actually, in August. Wow. <laughs> um, I went overseas again with the violin a couple years ago in 2018, just like I did back in high school. Um, I've gone to Midnight Studio Ghibli showings of, you know, one of my best friends as a regular outing. Um, I've injected, you know, like my Abu has, creativity in some of, like, my everyday tasks here and there. And I've tinkered with engineering as a mean to help people, kind of like what my grandfather has done. And, you know, I, I've i taken some steps and like sharing my story through, you know, allyship for other survivors. And I took action during my time in my senior year of the university to be an advocate for those survivors. And I've made sure that the events from 2015 have made me the person, you know, here talking on this podcast too, I guess. <laughs> And this person is wonderful. I, Shush. I, you're so, no, seriously, you're so insightful. And I really love this theme around time that has mm-hmm. sort of like popped up time and time again. Time and time. See what yeah. I did there. Um, but like time, is, it is linear, but it is also like we talk about memories and flashbacks and like the past and present sometimes like coexist together at the same time in good and bad ways. And I think it's really beautiful that you've been able to find the ways that like the overlap of time can be a positive thing with like the presence of your passions and your grandparents, like sort of coming in as like a support as you're kind of recovering and healing. Right. You know, I guess where I'm getting at, you know, is that sexual assault and abusive relationships can for some people like for myself come with the feelings of loss and that's particularly perhaps the loss of who you are that's what it was for me maybe others listening on this um even if the deaths of like loved ones are not included um biggest love not the biggest love the biggest thing for me is that my love for my grandparents and for myself and my grief and the two of them you know is they're they're not opposing forces and you know, the memories of these events, they they hurt. And, you know, just like, you know, the good memories of how I grew up as the person I am and the memories of both of my grandparents, they're always going to make me laugh. And it's just, I guess what I'm trying to say is that grief doesn't happen in this vacuum. It happens alongside of and mixed in with all these other emotions, especially with like sexual assault and abuse and, you know, their strands to the same thread. So, I've not moved on. I've moved forward. <laughs> mm, I love that. I love that so much. And I, I hate to ask because you've already dropped so much wisdom already. But if you, if there was something you wanted, anything else kind of like as a final thought that you would want to leave a listener who's listening right mm-hmm. now, what would that be? I guess it's important that I will say that I will remember. We need each other to remember, to help each other remember um, that grief in survivorship is this multitasking emotion. You will be sad. You can be happy. It's okay to be that way. You're just grieving. And you are you are definitely able to love in the same year or week and the same breath. And we, I will be there to anyone listening that to help them remember that a survivor is going to laugh and smile again. And, you know, if they're lucky, we'll even find love again. And so, but yes, absolutely. They're going to move forward. And I also believe that doesn't mean that they moved on. That's beautifully, beautifully said. That's beautifully said. It really captures a lot of the nuance, I think, of what that experience can feel like and what healing can look like. Because it isn't black and white. It's not either all or nothing. You're, it's not about 
either on or off. I love this idea of like forward and carrying it all with you at the same time. So I love it. Well, with that being said, I just want to say thank you again so much for being on the podcast. And um, yeah, this has been a real pleasure and just a wonderful conversation with you. And I always just like kind of give you the last note. So if there's any final thoughts before we wrap up. Go on and be passionate about who you are, you know, and fall back on the good memories of things that happened in your life. Like, you know, I watch Beauty and the Beast over and over again, you know, as a tribute to my grandmother because we used to sing Beauty and the Beast on karaoke and watch the movie together when I would spend time at her house in California. So just even something as silly as that, like just watching a movie over and over again or singing the songs, like just screaming them in the car. Like I've done that. I'm going to go full on confession here. I've done that as like, you know, as as something that helps me during like the recovery like just remembering you know who you are staying true to yourself is really the biggest thing that I hope I can come across in my episode tonight and you certainly have you certainly have and now I'm gonna go like sing a song (laughs) (laughs) well thank you again and I am going to yeah I'm gonna stop recording okay thank you Emily We hope you enjoyed the podcast. Be sure to subscribe and don't forget to check out our online community at weareher.net. If you or someone you know has experienced abuse or assault, you can always call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233.